You're listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy and occasional politics podcast. This is episode 24 for Wednesday, the 10th of June, 2020. Take care what you upload. How do you do? Welcome to the show. Nice to have you. My name is Fab. Full name, Fabian Alexander Scherschel. But let's stay with Fab. That's easier. Um, yeah. Welcome. Nice to have you here. Today we're going to talk about apps, apps and uh, privacy. Um, we will talk about fitness apps like Strava and also apps like Untapped and what they can um, reveal about you if you're not careful. Hope you're having a nice, what, whatever this is. For me, it's the evening, but whatever it is when you're listening to this, since it's a podcast and you can listen to it whenever you want. Hope you're having a good time. I am um, coming to you as usual from my uh, home studio just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport. And um, I'm settling in here and ready ready for, I don't know, could be, could be another long, long show. We'll see. This will be one of the um, series of, uh, let's call them Datensparsamkeits episodes. Uh, Datensparsamkeit, my favorite German word. Um, data... God, I had it. There, 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 there was an English English name for it, but I, f I forgot it. Uh, basically, to means means to be stingy with your data. You know, to watch what you upload and where and what you save and, and that kind of stuff. That's our topic for today. As usual, we will have some feedback uh, at the end of the um, the main topic. If you want to. Um, comment on what you hear um, I welcome that very much as usual you can find uh, copious show notes with links uh, to all the stories I talk about and all, all you know all the stuff at privatecitizen.press and there's also contact details on there um, how, to, how to get in contact and I appreciate that very much this show lives from audience participation because otherwise I'm talking into a um, into a vacuum and um you know there's 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 points where I, I might be wrong or where i might not see the full picture and this is where i need your help and also as always i always say this you know with my um when i do podcasts i i, I like to to enable people to think for themselves um i feel like lots of media and journalism these days is just telling people what they you know what the person that is uh, is reporting thinks they they should think, and I don't like that. I think people should think for themselves, and I would, uh, you know, I'm trying to give you the means to do that. So please, please get in contact. And with that, let's let's get right into uh, our main topic here. So the story starts. I mean, this is this is somewhat of an old story. I'm 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 doing this episode because it's a very important topic. Um, but also because there was a story published recently that shed more light on this and gave another aspect to it. But I'm, I'm, I decided to go through this chrono chronologically because it kind of builds on each other. I think we need that. So the new stories at the end. So we'll start with a story you're probably familiar with. In At the beginning of 2018, the New York Times um, published a story on the fitness app Strava. Um, and how it like reveals sensitive military sites around the world with a heat map they 
published now the, the times did this because somebody on twitter figured this out and was tweeting about it and uh story went went all around the world um oh i should probably say before before we get into the topic i should probably um lay out my thinking here once more when i started the show i said you know this is a privacy show but it's not it's not a show for people who like to wear tinfoil hats i am a um i you know i'm gonna consider myself a normal everyday person I'm, i try to have a pro, pro i mean i'm a techie yes but i like to have a pragmatic approach to these things i don't like these podcasts um well podcasts from techies for techies are great but i don't like these 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 podcasts where they're like it's just unrealistic um whether you have this un- unrealistic outlook on things yes i could say all of this is evil and don't use any of this but how realistic is that really and you know i like to um talk about things from my personal experience and i use these apps like i use strava and later on we'll talk about untapped and i use untapped so I will, I'm not, if you're looking for somebody who will tell you, you know, don't use any of this, don't trust anybody, uh, trust no one, you know, um, then this is the wrong podcast for you because I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm, I live, I live a pretty public life on the internet. You can find out a lot about me and it's always been that way. And I've had, I've always had good experiences with that. I mean, you have bad experiences, but all in all, the the good has always uh, outweighed the bad by far, and I've met many friends on the internet. And I, you know, with for example, using Strava for you know um, exercising and stuff, it gives me um, huge amount of um, inspiration, and it feels like I'm actually training with some other people and not in a vacuum, and it kind of motivates you. And I've, I think that is a helpful thing. That is a is a very valuable thing. But of course, all of this has downsides. So I'm coming, I'm just saying this so you understand that I'm coming from a, I'm not coming from a purist kind of standpoint, right? I'm coming from the standpoint of somebody who uses these apps as well. And with that out of the way, let's get back to the story. So this New York Times story um, was about the fact that Strava published a, a map, kind of a heat map with aggregated data tracking data strava was originally i think a cycling app um, but i feel like only got really popular when they expanded to other fitness activities and i use it for running and i know lots of people use it for running so um most of this data we're talking about here i think is running data but they they published um, this heat map where, you know, they aggregated, basically, you, they have a map of the world, and then you can zoom in very granularly, and you see where people are running. Um, now, I think they, they thought this wasn't a problem, because you cannot tell individual users from this map. And this is a mistake that lots of companies make. Um, there seems to be this preconceived notion that if you just pseudon- pseudonymize uh, people... So pseudonymize. I'm saying this wrong again. <laughs> I apologize. Um, then that's all okay, right? If you can't pick out an individual from this from this, from data like this, then everything is fine. But that is not okay in several respects. First of all, we've learned, and I've talked about this, uh, you know, in 24 episodes many times. 
that you can often still identify people from other data, from surrounding data, you know, from data from other sources. And also, as we're finding here in this story, that just an aggregated map can also reveal things. So in this case, um, a guy on Twitter, 20-year-old Australian university student, um, found out that this heat map reveals lots of uh, basically secret military installations and intelligence uh you know, things used by, by people in the intelligence community um, that that you should, I don't know, that you, you probably shouldn't know that are there. Because basically it shows activate, you know, it shows activity. Now, if you zoom into Berlin or London, of course, there's not, you know, everybody's running everywhere. There's like everything's saturated. It doesn't tell you so much there. But if you go to Kandahar and where you have a country where basically the people who live there don't really use fitness apps. <laughs> and then you have a, a spot where like there's people, oh, there's like several, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of people leaving a certain point and then running like some laps and then going back. You're like, what's there? And you suddenly figure out, well, that seems to be a US military base. And then these are like military uh, personnel or, you know, contractors. And it starts to reveal... Um, stuff. So in this story, it says Strava, quote, is sitting on a ton of data that most intelligence entities would literally, literally kill to acquire. Jeffrey Lewis of the Middlesbrough Institute, oh, it's in, no, the, it's probably the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, California, warned on Twitter. I thought it was the Middlesbrough <laughs> Institute. Um, some analysts have taken to social media to warn that although the map does not name the people who traced its squiggles and lines, individual users can easily be tracked by cross-referencing their Strava data with other social media use that could put individual members of the military at risk, even when they are not in war zones. The outlines of known military bases around the world are clearly visible on the map, especially in countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria... Where few uh, Iraq and Syria, where few locals own exercise tracking devices. In those places, the heat signatures on American bases are set against vast dark spaces. Tobias Schneider, a security analyst, wrote on Twitter that known coalition, i.e. U.S. bases, light up the night. In Afghanistan, for instance, two of the largest coalition bases in the country, Bagram Airfield north of Kabul and Kandahar Airfield in southern Afghanistan, can easily be picked out. The same is true for small, smaller bases around the country whose existence has long been public. But there also appear to be other airstrips and base-like shapes in places where neither the American-led military forces nor the Central Intelligence Agency are known to have personnel stations. So you can look on the map and you know, you, you'll, you'll see the heat map and there's activity there and then you look on the map and you see an airstrip. But like, that's not a known base. That would... Uh, kind of suggests that that is like a secret base or something something's going on there so that's that's definitely interesting and all like all from a fitness app right um perhaps more problematic for the military are the thin lines that appear to connect bases those lines seem to seem likely to trace the roads 
or other routes most commonly used by American forces when traveling between locations and their exposure could leave troops open to attack when they're most vulnerable. I mean, you know, with lots of these data, yes, you could say, okay, look, if there's like Taliban in the area, they can also watch the base. That's true, they can do that. Um, but the point here being that, you know, they can also do this analysis because the only thing they need for that is a browser. <laughs> um, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, there's people on Twitter doing this. So, you know, um, of course, uh, <laughs> the uh, the Pentagon was saying uh, that their quote here, um, Major Adricia Harris, a Pentagon, Pentagon spokeswoman said that the Defense Department recommends that all its personnel limit their public social media profiles and that it was reviewing the situation. Recent data releases emphasize the need for situational awareness when members of the military share personal information. Major Harris said the Pentagon, quote, takes matters like these very seriously and is reviewing the situation to determine if any additional training or guidance is required. The major added that Central Intelligence Agency declined to comment, <laughs> which is uh, on brand for the CIA. Um, but uh, the story then says the threat also extends to countries where the app's more popular. Dr. Lewis of the Middlebury Institute wrote in the Daily Beast that the pattern of movement movements clearly showed the location of Taiwan's supposedly secret missile command center. And of course, you know, as they say here, Strava is not the first app um, to collect that. Uh, you know, there was... There's studies at Kyoto University where they uh, tracked precise locations of people using dating sites, uh, even when they tried to hide that. And then also you could track, you know, car millions or let's say half, more than half a million of cars using GPS devices. Um, Strava now, they said, um, so to, to end the story here, uh, the company released a statement on Sunday. Well, this is, you know, obviously... Uh, years ago, but uh, noting that the app has privacy settings that can exclude users from the map and hide their activities from the general public. It urged people to read blog posts from last year about how to use those settings. The map, quote, excludes activities that have been marked as private and user-defined privacy zones, the company said. We're committed to helping people better understand our settings to give them control over what they share. They, You know, these companies always say that, but then, of course... Um, they kind of don't, they, they want you to share that stuff. Maybe not publicly, but at least like with them. And um, having using Strava, I mean, you can you can define like a privacy zone, which is okay if you live in the city, right? You go like, okay, this is like half kilometer radius or even kilometer radius. It won't show your date, like any trace of your, your tracking, like your run or whatever there, um, which means you could hide where you, I mean, the problem is you turn the device on when you step outside your door, right? So everybody knows exactly where you live. So you can hide that. Um, and while that works in Hamburg, you know, probably doesn't work in Kandahar. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, this, this, this is, this is a problem. And this, um, the problem here is not so much the privacy setting of the app, or I wouldn't even say, you know, the app itself is a problem because you know these apps i mean there's a reason people use them um not only um to be to be social but like also to you know track your exercise they're really useful for that now the downside there is that 
Yes, I mean, you could imagine an, an app where you didn't have to upload this to the cloud. I mean, and you can set this all to private, right? But the, the company still knows, has this data, this data could leak out at some point. Um, so if you're really privacy conscious, you wouldn't use such an app, like generally, right? I mean, I would probably say, I mean, as much as I like using stuff like this and it, it can really be beneficial. If you're a military contractor, if you work for the CIA, you probably shouldn't use this at all, right? But, you know, these, these people are normal people, as we will see later. So it will be, become clear. And, you know, they, they do this kind of stuff. Um, now, it's a bit of a shame that there are... I mean, I have this um, thing I want to want to continue here on the show that I started in one episode called Off the Grid, where I, I would love an alternative to an app like this, where you have like an... We have an op- offline app, right? There's no reason um, all this. I mean, your your phone could track your run or your bicycle ride or whatever, and then save that locally. And there's no reason like the analysis that apps like Strava do, if you don't want the social features, which I, you know, which are also handy, but you know, you might opt out of those. There's There's really no reason that, that calculation and that analysis can't happen on your phone, except like a business reason for the company, right? Um, but even then, you know, Strava now is moving towards being a, a subscription app. And like, if I pay for the app, why don't give me the option of do, doing all this analysis on my phone? I think the excuse, oh, we need AI and this is too, uh, you know, your phone's not powerful enough. That's not a, That's not a valid excuse anymore. I mean, our phones are incredibly powerful. Right. I mean, my, my, I have like a two year old iPhone and still that is as powerful as, you know, a desktop computer was 10 years ago, I guess. Maybe more powerful. Um, you know, that, I don't think there's, there's an excuse for that. I think it's all like business reason and that reason that's a bit of a shame. Now, as I say in the story, um, Strava is not, um, is not the only app that uh, has this problem or, you know, that, that can be used in this way to track people. And um, this came, became clear a few months later in the same year when Bellingcat uh, published an investigation in July uh, about Polar, which is another fitness app. I think it's a Finnish company. Um, And I think they were actually the first like GPS tracking like uh, you know, watch maker and uh, Bellingcat. If you don't, if you're not uh, familiar with Bellingcat, Bellingcat is this uh, outfit. They do uh, open source intelligence uh, analysis. Like they look at stuff. They're the guys who basically proved that. Well, aside from probably the intelligence services who did that, you know, internally didn't tell the world. Um, these guys, I mean, these guys do public stuff and they, they do kind of like data journalism and stuff. And they basically proved that um, the Russian separatists in Ukraine uh, shut down sh- uh, shut down that Malaysia Airlines flight um, over eastern Ukraine. And they did that by just an, analyzing the wreckage. And they basically did like tracking like of that... Um, Buck uh, surface-to-air missile battery and where it came from, and it's it's all amazing. I mean, there. If you're interested in this kind of investigations in the and the 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 techniques people use, 
Bellingcat's great. I mean, they do probably the stuff they do is probably stuff that you know I don't know police investigators and you know uh, PIs and stuff use as well. Except they do it publicly and they explain to you how they did it, so you can learn a lot of stuff. And they do a lot like I mean they do pretty much everything by just publicly available tools. You know they use Google. Uh, Google Earth and uh, satellite images, and then they compare that to photos on the ground. Um, they did a great analysis on also on the uh, the uh, recent uh, Iranian uh, when when Iran shot down that plane. Man, I was thinking that feels like it's years ago, right? And it was, I think that was was that this year? Wait. Uh, I'll have to look that way. Ukraine International Airlines signed 752. Yeah, that was uh, in January, but that feels like it's been, it's years ago. <laughs> Man, it's a lot of shit happened this year, right? This, this is already completely forgotten. After all of the corona madness and now the the you know the protests, the Black Lives Matter uh, Black Lives Matter protests is like this is completely completely forgotten anyway they did a great analysis on that as well and basically did some some good work there also showing that you know uh where where the plane was shut down where like the uh, iranian military bases are and you know based on video and still images and and analyzing where the rockets were fired from and stuff like that it's fascinating anyway here they're uh investigating uh polar so say um in the story Polar, a fitness app uh, is revealing the homes and lives of people exercising in secretive locations such as intelligence agencies, military bases and airfields, nuclear weapon storage sites and embassies around the world. A joint investigation of Bellingcat and Dutch journalism platforms. Journalism platforms, a weird way of putting it. Uh, the correspondent, the correspondent, Dutch, can't, can't say that in Dutch, reveals. Um... And, you know, they, they talk about Strava and then they looked at uh, Polar, which is, it says they, they're known for making the world's first wireless heart rate monitor. Um, and they have, you know, a site, it's like a social site, like all these companies um, called Polar Flow. Compared to the similar services of Garmin and Strava, Polar public si publicizes more data per user in a more accessible way with potentially disastrous results. By showing all the sessions of an individual combined onto a single map, Polar is not only revealing the heart rates, routes, dates, time, duration, and pace of exercises carried out by individuals and military sites, but also revealing the same information from, from what likely from what are likely their homes as well. Tracing all of this information is very simple through the site. Find a military base, select an exercise published there to identify the attached profile and see where else this person is exercised. As people tend to turn their fitness trackers on off when on or off when leaving or entering their homes, they unwittingly mark their houses on the map. Users often use their full names in their profiles, accompanied by a profile picture, even if they do not connect their Facebook profile to their Polar account. And what these, what what they explain here, what they do, uh, what Bellingcat generally does is, you know, um, and what you know, really anyone can do. Like if somebody uses their real name or just you know has a real profile picture, 
chances are they also use that picture for another account. So you can do like, you know, Google image searches and stuff and you can figure out who these people are. And, you know, Bellingcat did that for like, you know, the Russian and they were basically proving that, uh, you know, Russian soldiers were um, in, were on mission in Crimea, even though they were kind of disguised as Russian separatists. And, you know, they, they, they were just comparing those photos with their social media accounts. And you can do this here as well. Um, so that this is always something people don't keep in mind. Um, they feel like, yeah, I'm just using that, you know, I'm just putting this in this fitness app. But, you know, you can connect that to other accounts. And this is also the problem with that, you know, pseudonymizing stuff. Because what these companies often don't keep in mind is that the data you publish on their site is not the only data about you out there. And that even if they take care, let's say not to reveal your home address or your real name or whatever, whatever information, often that information can be um, correlated from other sources. And so you can build like a, pic a, a bigger picture of somebody's life by just... Um, by just collecting all this data together. Now, it seems like um, the biggest problem here, I mean, Polar is obviously not the only app doing this, um, but it seems like they're, um, the problem here is that they just give you or give anybody really better access to that information and just make it easier to, you know, to correlate things and, and get more information. As the story says, um, Polo is not the only app doing this, but the difference between it and other popular fitness platforms, such as Strava or Garmin, is that these other sites require you to navigate to a specific person to view separate instances of his or her sessions, each exercise having its own small map. I mean, generally, yeah, that is, I mean, you could probably automate that as well, but this, this just makes it a lot easier. You know, you could probably, if you want, want to attack that, write a script and then, you know, build yourself uh, a big map and, you know, all build a complete picture of that user. But, you know, with, with this Polar site, you don't have to because they go on. Moreover, they often limit the number of exercises in these other sites, uh, the number of exercises that can be viewed. Polar makes it far worse by showing all the exercises of an individual done since 2014 all over the world on a single map. As a result, not you only need to navigate to an interesting site, select one of the profiles exercising there, and you can get full history of that individual. So if you know where a military base is, right, you can see the people exercising there, and then you can get their full ex exercise history, and then you can branch that out and you know on, on other parts of the internet and uh, find out much more about them. With only a few clicks, a high-ranking officer of an airbase known to host nuclear weapons can be found jogging across the compound in the morning. From a house not too far from that base, he started, started and finished many, uh, finished many more runs on early Sunday mornings. His favorite path is through a forest, but sometimes he starts and ends at a car park further away. The profile shows his full name. Activities normally shrouded in secrecy are laid bare with incredible detail. At a U.S. Air Force base 
where armed drones are stationed and an intelligence officer can be found exercising. Again, his name and profile picture openly available. And this is like, you know, this is just how people work, right? These 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 people are probably, you know, when they're in their job, they're trained for operational security and they're probably, you know, they use probably secure devices and all this kind of shit. Uh, but you know, when they're off off duty, they're off duty, and they 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 revert to being a normal civilian person, and they use use a smartphone and they use apps like all of us, except you know they live right next to the base, and it's kind of easy to figure out who they are. So it's just human. It's just you know, people people generally don't think about that, um, and really this is the whole reason uh, why I'm doing this. Here. I'm not thinking that. Probably people listening to this, I mean, is this podcast not that well known yet, maybe. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's like any military personnel listening. If if there is and you have input on this, greatly appreciated. Um, I mean, I, I, if you want to give me info off the record, that is fair. If you go to the contact details, of course, there is a uh, whistleblower contact form where you can remain anonymous as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming this more at people like uh you know you and me uh but we need to think about these things as well and, s- and sometimes we don't i always try to but you know i catch myself sometimes doing s- doing stuff well and like a year later i'm like wow what are we doing um but i think it's it's generally important to think about these things so continue and see what they what they found out um a selection of individuals that we found on the polar site who were identifiable from their public information and whose homes were able to, to locate uh, we were able to locate includes military personnel exercising at bases known or strongly suspected to host nuclear weapons individuals exercising at intelligence agencies as well as embassies their homes and other locations persons working at the F- FBI and NSA they should really know better Military personnel specialized in cybersecurity, IT, missile defense, intelligence, and other sensitive domains. They should really know better. Persons serving on submarines exercising at submarine bases. Individuals both from management and security working at nuclear power plants. Well, okay, they're just, you know, civilians. Uh, it's, I mean, can't really blame them for that. A CEO of a manufacturing company exercising in locations all over the world. Americans in the green zone in Baghdad. Russian soldiers in Crimea. Eh, you know, if you're if you're involved in a in a basically involved in a war without people not wanting to figure that out, this is uh, that that is quite a security breach. Uh, military personnel at Guantanamo Bay, troops stationed near the North Korean border, airmen involved in the battle against the Islamic State. This list is not exhaustive. We were able to scrape Polar site, another security flaw, for individuals exercising at 200 plus of such sensitive sites, and we gathered a list of nearly 6,500 unique users. Together, these users had made over 650,000 exercises, marking the places they work, live, and go on vacation. The security implications are obviously grave. In countries where soldiers were banned from wearing their uniforms on the street in 
in the off chance that they would run into a potential terrorist, addresses and living patterns can now be found easily by anyone with, an, with internet access and the wits to use Polar's site. Um, they're referring here to the UK, I think, because, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this is like, you know, a few years. Was I, I think it's 2013. I mean, I, I was in London at the time. I saw, I saw this live on TV. There was this attack on the, you know, when they killed some um, soldiers. Uh, British soldiers in front of like their barracks um, they were like you know maybe you don't want to wear your uniform in public because you might get targeted um, continuing talking about polar site um, in its current form it is not difficult to find the time of deployment home photograph and the functions function of a soldier in a conflict zone it does not take much imagination to see how this information could be used in dangerous ways by extremists or state intelligence services um, the latter are probably using this already this is especially concerned i mean if bellingcat can figure that out i'm pretty sure you know intelligence services can this is especially concerning considering the data we managed to gather on personnel at multiple nuclear weapon storage sites. The risk from Polar's own data set also poses a risk to civilians. That's a bad sentence. <laughs> As those with ill intentions could use Polar to see when and for how long users in area tend to be away from their homes, as well as when they are abroad if they bring their heart rate sensors with them. Yeah, I always, they, they always bring that up just like, you know, posting on social media and then they break into your home but generally i don't see i don't see the danger there as being that big because you know burglars are still they just watch their home at your home i mean they have to do that anyway they can't even if they were to use like social media to see if you're not home um they still need to watch your home see if you're actually not there um i mean it's probably an attack if you're very rich and a very high profile target i would guess but then I, I guess you have extra security. So I don't I don't see that as a danger so much for, you know, normal people. But like intelligence services doing this, yeah, you bet they're doing that. I mean, the story, keep in mind, right, this is from 2018. So they're definitely doing this now. Um, on res registering your account... Polar asks you to provide... I, I thought this was important. Um, on registering your account, Polar asks you to provide a name, location, height, weight, date of birth, gender, and the amount of training per week. Though you can obviously fill in fake information, the majority of users we surveyed provided what seems to be reliable information. Along with the ability to connect your account to Facebook, Polar also offers integration with five other apps, including Strava, to share quote all your sessions automatically now this is important because i think this this applies to a lot of people um a lot i mean people just tend to fill that out with their real name especially now right like 20 years ago on the internet it used to be people used a lot more fake names but now i think many people feel like our oh, privacy is over anyway uh, facebook knows anyway so i'm just going to fill that in and you know it, Filling in fake information also, often people can still figure out who you actually are. And, you know, it always cracks me up when I still, it, it's getting rarer, but especially in Germany is still the case. Sometimes you have, I have these friends who use like these fake names on Facebook. And I kind of don't understand why. I mean, if, 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 
I think they're doing it so Facebook doesn't know who they are, but you know, you're on Facebook every day, right? There's all these ads, they have all these interconnections with all the other websites you log into and what you, I mean, they basically know who you are. You don't have to give them your real name. I mean, they know if you use it on your phone, they know where your home is, they know where you work. I mean, they can figure all that out. Um, you know, they can probably figure it out from your picture and just cross-referencing that with any point where, like, your face appears with your real name. Um, I guess it's somewhat valid if you, like, these people don't want to be found by somebody. I mean, maybe not, they're not defending against Facebook, but, like, their boss... Um, But still, like, you know, if you have a lot, if you have enough real friends, like, you just, your social graph will kind of, you know, tell people uh, who you are. And, you know, people tend to friend people on Facebook from their work. And so sooner or later, your boss will get like a, you know, if, if you friend enough people from your company, right, it's a chance that your boss will get it. Like, do you know this person? And then it's like a made up name, but they recognize you from the picture, right? And you have to have something to be recognizable, I guess, because most people use Facebook to interact with people they know from real life and they want them to uh, recognize them. So it's just, yeah, yeah. So I think people tend to fill in their real names with these things and all with these other apps. Um, so I thought that's just an... An interesting thing to think about. And, I mean, another approach would be if you're using such an app, you install such an app, you think about, right, should I enter, um, like, should I just use a anonymous profile picture, like some, some something, not my face, right, something else, but just some random picture. And a made-up name. At this point, it's maybe worth to consider if you actually want to use that app at all. Although, you know, as I said, sometimes that is hard because sometimes there's just not no privacy respecting alternative. Um, but, of course, as a result of all of this, uh, the Pentagon um, late later that year, later in 2018, then uh, changed its rules and uh, banned all private use of GPS devices by military pers personnel. Quoting here, the new rules prohibit defense personnel to use fitness trackers, any applications and mobile devices which use GPS, as well as any, quote, other devices and apps that pinpoint and track the location of individuals, end quote, which is very broad. Reiterating the fact, Pentagon spokesman Army Colonel Robert Manning III, Robert Manning III, said, effective immediately, Defense Department personnel are prohibited from using geolocation features and functionality on government and non-government issued devices. Applications and services while in locations designated... Uh, well, sorry, once again. Effective immediately, Defense Department personnel are prohibited from using geolocation features and functionality on government and non-government issued devices, applications and services while in locations designated as operational areas. Definitely uh, <laughs> government press release. Um, yeah, so uh, they uh, changed the rules there. And... Um, If you think that solved the problem, 
then uh, you are, of course, mistaken because it turns out you, you don't need to have apps that have GPS. Um, and there's lots of other ways to pinpoint people's location. But people probably don't think of it that way and then they don't think this rule applies to that app because... Um, we had a story published last month, and you know this is obviously the thing that kicked this whole thing off. I saw that, thought this is great. Um, also, in Bellingcat, um, where they um, analyzed Untapped. Now, Untapped is an app that uh, lets it's a social network for beer drinkers. It lets you uh, check in when you drink um, certain kind of beer. And I use it, use it um, not right at the moment. Although I'm drink, drinking a, uh, a Tuborg from actually from Denmark, Pilsner O. Um, so I, I, I could be using it, but um, the uh, the interesting thing here is that of course Untap doesn't use well it uses GPS because um, I mean you check in your beer and then you can upload a picture and then you can check in at a location um, which is the Foursquare database and to do that obviously um, it accesses the GPS on your phone uh, but it doesn't save you like you know it doesn't people it's not like a fitness app where people can retrieve your location at the point but if you checked into a, a venue then, of course, they can uh, access that. And uh, Balancat writes, the beer rating app Untapped can be used to track the location history of military personnel. The social network has over 8 million mostly European and North American users, and its features allow researchers to uncover sensitive information about set users at military and intelligence locations around the world. And, um, you know... It, it explains where you, where you where you can check in you know and this is often very specific you know things like gay bar or you know airports um, examples of users that can be tracked this way include a US drone pilot along with a long list of both domestic and overseas military bases he has visited a naval officer who also checked in at the beach next to Guantanamo Bay's detention center it's just weird that there's a beach there and you can check in. There's probably a beach bar. Um, as well as several times at the Pentagon and a senior intelligence officer with over 7,000 check-ins domestic and abroad. Senior officials at the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Air Force are included as well. And of course, what they do is they cross-reference, again, these check-ins with social media sites and stuff. And I put a picture here in here from the story. Um, and it says about this picture um, below. Examples of a location page and the user's venue history. On the left is, of, on the left is the venue page for Rammstein Air Base, which is uh, in Germany, showing nearly 600 unique visitors that have logged over 2,600 beers. On the right, we see a small portion of his single-user's check-in history as he traveled through Afghanistan, revealing his visits to the United States Embassy, in, Embassy Bar in Kabul, the Duck and Cover, a great name, by the way, among other places. The, users, the user also has thousands of other check-ins spread over hundreds of different locations. And here you see... Um, you know, what use is it if you say 
people can't use GPS in their apps and stuff like that and no geolocation. I mean, people don't think of this as geolocation, right? They're just checking in somewhere. It's, you know, don't think of that as actual geolocation. And, you know, everything has a bar. Like, if you think about it, every military installation has a bar. I mean, the, the embassy c compound uh, in Kabul has a bar, the duck and cover. <laughs> I hope the logo, like, has is, includes a duck. <laughs> Um, you know, ISAF headquarters, uh, Afghanistan presidential palace, Kabul palace. Of course. At first glance, untapped data might seem useless as its location data is not strict, meaning users are free to check into locations from up to six, 60 miles away. This is a problem at well-known spots in more populated areas. For example... The NSA and MI6 headquarters. Oh yeah, the MI6 headquarters at uh, at Vauxhall. Oh, what lovely building! Uh, and MI6 headquarters have many check-ins from users who were in the vicinity. I should have checked in there, really. <laughs> uh, but who were likely not inside these buildings. Moreover, it can be difficult to find locations of interest as untapped search functions only list venues such as hotels, bars, and restaurants. You cannot search for locations that are tagged primarily as government building or military base. But obviously these uh, smart people at uh, the um, at Bellingcat got around that and you know you can you can imagine that intelligence services also get around this so because what you can do and um <coughs> they use the example in the story of camp piri um which is the u.s military reservation is officially known as the armed forces experimental training activity or af eta but uh, it's better known as the farm which is like the cia it's a training uh, camp for cia uh, operations people um and i think the dia trains there too and uh, has an airstrip where they say in the story allegedly has been used for rendition flights and um so now you can't find camp piri in this i mean you know where it is you can look at it uh, in google maps and stuff but you can't find it in the app Now they, you know, as I said before, it's well known. It actually says in the app um, that it uses the API um, from, um, you know, it doesn't have its own location database. It uses the API from Foursquare. Now you can go directly to Foursquare and look there. And if you do a little bit of tri trickery, then in this example, you can actually see uh, that Campiri turns up. And what what obviously happens here um, when you when you analyze this is that Untapped has um, knows where these military bases installations are, but just kind of blacklisted them. So if you search for them, you can't find them. Now it allows you to still check in though. So what the what these people from Bellingcat are doing is they spoof their location um on you know they they install untapped on their phone. They spoof their location and pretend to be in the vicinity of Camp Peary. And then you can actually check in. Um, you know, you can you can you can pretend you're there. Then Untapped lets you check in, and once um, once you are locked in, lock, uh, once you are like checked in, um, 
you can actually um you can then actually like you get a you get a page like you it's it's you know it then uh, lets you actually uh, see other people that have logged in and uh let me just i'm just looking at the Okay, so they're saying if we spoof our location to Campiri's vicinity and begin the process of checking in a beer, Untap will reveal that it does know Campiri exists. Com completing the check-in will lock the beer on, our, on your timeline along with a link to Campiri's page. So then you can actually see that Untap actually has a page for this, even though it's like blacklisted from the search. On Campiri's page, so they probably got a request to, do, to blacklist this, but they didn't like... Still lets you log in, so they, they just half-assed it. On Campiri's page, we can find a timeline of users who have checked in there as well as photos associated with the location. Now, the thing is, they're basically going on here, like, if you want to... Um, if you actually want to use this for investigation, you kind of, you know, because people can kind of spoof their location, whatever, you're not really 100% sure that person... Um, actually ch checked in there although you can you know you can again you can look at their profile you can look at their past check-ins you can basically correlate yeah they actually work for the military they you know that they're, they're not drove by there or just checked spoofed their their location is checked in this seems to be a legit military person and then did another thing this is what belling cat, cat does best uh, I put the picture in the show notes. So basically, um, if you if you check in via Untap, you can post a photo of your beer, and lots of people do that, and they post a picture of their beer bottle. It's like part of the thing. I've done it hundreds of times. And what they do is they take such a photo of a check-in, allegedly at Camp Peary, and they cross-reference the things, like the buildings, and the pavement and stuff like that seen in the background uh, next to the beer bottle, they reference that with uh, ingeniously with things, you know, with the, with a with satellite image of Campiri. And you can kind of see, like, they can pinpoint exactly where the photo was taken from. And I just love this kind of detective work. It's really cool. And so you can do that. There's other ways to uh, verify the authenticity, you know, basically the user's profile, their entries, all that stuff. Um, for example, the user who checked in at Campiri has also checked in at military locations throughout the Middle East and has locked an additional 700 plus check-ins at 500 plus unique locations. Similar check-in of the user near the Guantanamo Bay Detention Center shows that he paid several visits to the Pentagon as well as other military installations. Again, through their check-in history and cross-referencing with other open sources, i.e. other social media sites and stuff like that, we can identify the user in question. So this is I mean, this is an probably CIA operative, um, you know, and you can kind of uncover him through social media websites, which is kind of scary. And then it gets, you know, now we get into the point where it gets really scary, but also you're like, you can see that military people are just um, normal human beings. 
Quoting again from the story, as with any social media, the photos, so we're talking untapped here, the photos are untapped, the photos can reveal more information on their own too. The difference is that with untapped, so you know, social media, people in the background, is usually photos of people or locations, right? Um, the difference is that with untapped, the photos tend to focus a bit more on tables or desks where the users place the bottle. And that might be taken by slightly and that they might be taken by slightly inebriated users a bit more often and this is of course important <laughs> on a on a uh, alcohol based social network they include desktops documents and plane tickets but they also feature military hardware from time to time so there's like pictures with f-16s in the background below are pictures taken at military installations you see a franciscana bottle good taste in beer by the way but there's actually i mean Aside from operational security, there's a visa card next to it, and you could actually, I mean, you got the credit card number there. That That's one problem. There's like a, another bottle, there's like post-it notes with, there's a, looks like a map in the, as a, as a blotter, but then, you know, the post-it notes, there's sensitive information, and then it's done photo, one photo where they just, um, censored 90% of the image the only thing you can see is like a, a bit of a beer bottle or some drink uh, looks like with uh, Arabian writing on it and then a uh, uh, a piece of paper that I think says local defense ensemble inspection record uh, June 2017 so yeah that looks like very sensitive information <laughs> man now, interestingly, um, at the end of the story, they go into how they kind of released this information. Um, so Benningcat says, in our previous investigation of a fitness app, so that's the uh, the Polar story, revealing the homes of military intelligence personnel, we did not publish the findings until the company behind the app rendered the data inaccessible and made changes to its privacy standards. This is not the case with Untapped, because now comes the important bit. Untapped differs in three crucial ways. It has decent privacy settings, as profiles can be set to private easily. Users have to consciously select locations they check into. Most importantly, private residences are not registered unless a user has added their own home. In other words, with Untapped, the onus is on the user for the data they share. And I mean, this is the topic of the show. Yes, you can have all these privacy settings, but you know, even intelligence people who have training regarding this. I mean, from the very training base where they probably just received that training, they, you know, they're just long day kicking back with the beer and they just post their location and then they check into Guantanamo Bay next. I mean, Christ, the, the kind of stuff you could find out. And that's what Bellingcat says. We kind of released this because people might, this might be interesting, you know, so private investigators or people who need to conduct investigations. Um, they finish the story. At the same time, untapped data can be useful, can be a useful source of potential leads for investigations or as a point of reference to confirm other findings. You know, stuff like if you want to pinpoint Russian. Uh, military disguising themselves as, uh, you know, rebels somewhere. 
This article has focused on the military, but businesses and political locations can be found there as well. It is a stark reminder that untapped and smaller social networks like, like it, though they tend to draw less attention, are worth checking when conducting open source investigations, can also present serious security challenges. And, I mean, that's a given. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have an order of the Pentagon in place that people are not supposed to, like, you know, in operational settings, um, share their location, and they still do, obviously, uh, two years later. So, yeah, happens. Uh, everybody's just human. But I thought this is a great story. I mean, it's just interesting to see what you can find out. Um, great stories, but also something worth thinking about. I'm not, as I said in the beginning here, I'm not generally against using these apps. Um, I, I find that I find that stance in itself a bit. That's just first of all, it's knee jerk, and it's kind of it's kind of really patronizing you know to tell somebody oh no you shouldn't use that app you shouldn't use that operating system i don't like that attitude in general first of all we're all grown-up people it's everybody's decision what they use um what i like to do is just enable people to think about that and i think we we need to do that more we need to think about what we're doing i've been i've been trying this consciously um for a long time i mean it probably started when i started podcasting when i you know at first uh, you know when i did linux outlaws when i was talking about open source um thinking about what software i use and why and i i kind of kind of try to to revisit that once in a while and you know once in a while i get like these people who haven't kept up with what i'm doing and then they're like what you use windows now why why are you a linux guy and i feel like you know that's it's not like i inadvert like i just didn't think about using windows i use windows for very specific reasons because there is software that that is just available on Windows and some things are easier, but I'm aware of what I'm doing and I think about the repercussions. And yes, I've changed, you know, back in the day I was a lot, lot more idealistic. I thought probably naively that certain things would change other things and I changed my mind about that. But what I haven't lost and what what still is is thinking about what i use when i try to do that as, as much as i can and i would like um to just imprint that open up on you the listener um to also try to do that and you know it goes with everything i mean in this case we're talking privacy um but it's kind of the same as you know the, the open source question you know and i don't think we should you should condemn somebody for using a certain app. What I, what I think is bad if you just use something and you don't think about it. Um, I mean, I, I do use Strava, for example, and I have a public profile. And I am aware of what I'm sharing there and I'm trying to be very, very proactive about that, right? I, I, I would never shame anybody for sharing something. 
um, as long as they know what they're doing then it's their decision it's bad when like something like this happens like these military people for example they were certainly not aware that you can do that i think once they read that story they were like holy shit damn fuck um and so i think it's important to share that so so we all know yeah and that that was it for our main topic today i thought this was very interesting. I hope uh, you think so too. If if you know, if you do, if you don't, let me know. As always, very much appreciated. Speaking of people that are letting me know, um, let's let's get into the feedback. And most of this uh, concerns episode twenty two. I mean, I released uh, two episodes last week, so people obviously still catching up. Uh, episode 22, I talked about the, um, it's more of a political episode. I talked about uh, Black Lives Matter and, you know, the the protests that are currently going on and kind of my take on it. And uh, I had another email from our anonymous Canadian listener who uh, has wrote in, written in before, who remains, uh, prefers to be anonymous, um, and who talks about uh, in response to episode 22 and says, I also do not believe that the current situation in the US is fully about race, but more about division of people. I have included this article, so link in the show notes. Um, this is from, where was this from again? Uh, the Washington Post. From last year, where there was a similar murder there, that being the US, except the victim was an upper class middle an upper middle class white male and none of the three officers involved ended up going to court. As we can see, there was very limited coverage of this incident despite the similarities. Yeah, and I mean, people have, have brought that up. There are, you know, there are actually also a lot of cases of white people or, you know, brown people, whatever, uh, who, who are victims of police brutality. I mean, um, it's probably... It's probably more black people in the US, you know, definitely. But um I mean it's 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 wrong either way. And my whole if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you probably should. Otherwise this this'll all you'll kind of won't won't understand where I'm coming from. But like my thrust was um let's concentrate on the fact that this is the police doing bad things. And let's not divide ourselves on race is race issues. We should not be divided we should all be together to me this as i said in the end um this is more an issue of uh let's say you know the the elites in the state and the apparatus they use to stay in power versus us the normal people than it is uh black people against white people because to me at the end of the day uh somebody who dies on the pavement with a police officer's uh knee on their neck I don't really care what color their skin is I don't care what gender they are um, I don't care what drugs they've taken I don't care if they're disabled or if they have I don't care how different they are for me basically they're a human being and we're all human beings and we're all citizens in a state and it is the job of the police to protect the citizens 
And, you know, sometimes they have to arrest people. Sometimes they have to physically restrain people. Sometimes they have to hurt people. And in very rare cases, they have to shoot at people. But they should never shoot to kill. And they should never, once they've restrained somebody or in the process of restraining somebody, kill them. Should never do that. It doesn't it doesn't matter who that person is that, that is dying in the gutter. They're a person. Um, on the other hand, something I didn't talk about in the recent show, but uh, like in that episode, but something which I think I need to add here. Um, I do completely understand the protests. I said that. Um, and I support what people are doing. I support that they seek change in, in, in the way the police in the U.S. is organized and behaved, behaves. I mean, it's completely understandable. I'm, I'm down with that 100%. I don't think police should be militarized. I don't think they should use these tactics. But on the other hand, saying, you know, you should, should abolish the police is just dumb as well. I mean, that's just idiotic. It's just overreaction. It's just dumb. Um, we need the police, right? Somebody breaks into your house, you need the police, Right? Somebody gets murdered, you need somebody to, to find the uh, the culprit. Right? Your child gets kidnapped, you better hope the police is on the case. Um you, you, you need we need we need the police. Now we need we need a police with with humane tactics. Um but abolishing the police is not the not the issue. I, I mean that's that can't be that is not the solution. I also don't understand the defund the police because I don't think the police should have less funding. Um if anything, they should have more funding, I feel. Um, you know, in the US I would I would defund the military. I think that's a good idea. Uh, at least to some degree. Um no, the police doesn't need less funding. What you want to do is you want to reform the police, you want to get these people out of there. That are, you know, let's use the term racist, although I explained in that episode why I don't think it's good, but let's use the term racist. You want to get these people out of there that are not fit to be police officers, that are racist, that are too brutal, uh, that rejoice in the power that they have and that they mis that misuse that power. You want to get them out. But to do that, you need to hire new people and you need to, you, you need an app. That's a huge effort. That's hard to do, especially if you want to do that immediately. And you can't do that with less money. Right? You need more money. You need to pay these people better, probably. Because to get these bad apples out, you need to get good people in there and good people want to be paid well, I'm feeling. Right? So don't defund the police. Right? Get but reform the police, yes. I mean, not only in the US, I mean we have problems like this and not not as bad, but you know, we have police brutality problems in Germany. And I mean, I talked about in that episode that I don't think the you know people that join the police are generally not the most intelligent people. Um, I don't you know I don't want to I don't want generalize, but you know it's not the um, the academics, right? They become academics, but I think we need more 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 compassionate, more intelligent people in the police. Anyway, continuing. Don't want to get too far off the track here. Continue with what our Canadian listener says. Here in Canada, our Prime Minister has just announced that we are a racist nation and more must be done to address our racism against the native people of our country. And I'm sure that you have heard about the blockades we suffered through the end of last year where native-backed protesters shut down our highways and railways. Actually, I didn't hear anything about this, to be honest. 
I think you're overestimating the importance of Canada outside of Canada. <laughs> There's not many, like all, all news is all Trump, 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 Trump. And even that I don't understand. Uh, but, you know, we hear nothing from Canada. Um, I would think that from the outside we must look like a racist and oppressive nature, nation when considering these issues. Now, I don't, I've never been to Canada, so I can't speak to that. But I've been to Australia and there's definitely an issue there, right? I mean, this is the same issue. You have a native population that, yes, got um, subjugated by violent means um, historically. Um, I think if your prime minister says that you're a racist nation, um, I mean, some of this, I mean, some of this is historic, right? And you need to, what you need to do is you need to um, accept that that has happened and, and, and embrace that it has happened uh, kind of like but it should not like that shouldn't be a stain on the current people that live in the country you need to be aware of your history but you're not at fault right so i'm germany we do not have that issue we have a very different issue you know um we have the history of nazism the holocaust uh killing millions of Jews, uh, starting two world wars, millions of dead. Um, but I, I feel we need to be aware of that. And we have a special responsibility to make sure that this kind of thing does never happen again. But on the other hand, you know, the people living here now, like me, I, you know, I'm not at fault. I'm not responsible for that. You know, that was, I'm, I'm born in 1983. Right, this stuff ended 1945, Right, I'm not responsible for that at all. You can't say I'm responsible. Um, the same way, I, you know, you can't say that. I would say modern Australians are responsible for what happened to the Aborigines back in the day, or modern Canadians are not responsible for the, what happened to the native people back in the day. But you need to be aware of what happened, and of course, you're responsible for racism and inequality that that happens today right just as if there's now uh inequality towards jews if there was inequality towards jews in germany um we'd all be responsible for that um yeah uh he continues or she what the media fails to report on and our prime minister will never mention is that this is also a government-backed issue. For instance, no one ever mentions that the native people here can be and are frequently granted housing paid for by their bands, the financing received from our government. Or that while I pay 33% of wages to taxes before I get my money from my employer and further 13% in taxes whenever I spend my money, they are exempt from the 33% tax, they live in the aforementioned housing and also exempt in many locations from the further 13% tax. While I had to take out loans to pay for my post-secondary schooling, they receive grants through their bands and our government for the same schooling. While our government now bans close to 2,000 firearms from citizens of the country, the list has been growing weekly, they created an exemption to allow the native people to continue owning and using these firearms. While citizens of this country must obtain schooling, licensing, and obtain a permit, sorry, oh, I just dropped something, <laughs> and obtain a permit to hunt or fish, uh, and then only in set areas and seasons, the native people are allowed to hunt or fish to their heart's desire. Now, I understand where you're coming from there. 
Um, I have several things to say about this. I think it is, yes, you are right. I mean, you're saying, I mean, let, let me continue. Um, to me, this is less about racism, more about government-engineered division of the people. How can pe people truly be equal if we are declared unequal by our own governments? Um, I can understand clearly where you're coming from. And I somehow, to some degree, I feel with you. Yes, this creates a division. Um, I can also see the other argument that, you know, if if people have been treated badly in the past, um, there are reasons to make up for that. Uh, I think that has limits. But that, you know, I mean, in, in Germany, um, even today... Uh, we pay something called Solidaritätszuschlag. So you might be aware that Germany was um, a divided country and we had East Germany and, you know, I live in the West. And when Germany was united in 1990, um, th this law was passed that, so basically everybody uh, in the Western part of Germany, in the, in the so-called old states, um, pays a certain percentage of their earnings um, to the government and this is used to better infrastructure in the east in the in the so-called new states now that filled a, a purpose and that the, the, there's arguments for that but there are also arguments against that for example i come from a um an area in in western germany that you know when uh The, the Strukturwandel hit. So when the uh, coal mines shut down and the, the steel shut down, we had massive unemployment and uh, the, the, the local governments didn't have any money. And so, you know, there was unemployment. There is uh, the infrastructure is, is, is underdeveloped, you know, roads, public transport. And all of the people working there were paying money and that went into the infrastructure and like hiring programs and stuff for people in the East. So that created this joke that, you know, when we went over there, suddenly they have like new autobahns. It's like all oh, the infrastructure is great. There's nobody there's in areas where nobody, nearly nobody's living. Um, and we in the West, we're like in this, in this shithole. Um, so there's always arguments for and against that. I can see what, like, why, why that would be a valid um, program to have, but you know, there's, 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 um, there's, you know there, there's there's boundaries to that i mean at some point at some point you're asking yourself okay this is now 20 years no like 30 years ago and do we still should be paying that aren't the you know aren't that i mean there was a there was a there was a visible division um between the western states and the eastern states which just came out of socialism and were completely run down you know the soviets they completely ran down that country i mean if you did these people in the u.s who are, who are crying for socialism um they should have visited eastern germany in like 1992 and they would have seen like what happens to a country and its people under actual socialism but you know so there, there's there's a valid reason for for equalizing that but these days um, there are divisions between like rich and you know wealthy and poor in Germany that are not that division anymore. That that used to be a valid division 30 years ago, but now it's it's completely different, right? Now it's I mean the East is still there's still high unemployment and 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 and, and shitty uh, living conditions in some places, but like the West has that as well. Now it's more like Bavaria and Hamburg are like 
massively rich and you know well de well developed and you know berlin you know as that's where all the infrastructure is and then like the the western germany where i'm from you know the the rural area which is incredibly populous like lots of people live there but it's it's like t totally run down so th this is other divisions and sometimes you know that's not keeping up so what i'm trying to say is um you might have a point there maybe it's not that um Maybe that's just not justified anymore, but maybe, you know, maybe there's still, I could still see if like these, these native people, if they're still, um, basically if, if on average, you know, their chances to go to higher education, for example, are lower. I know that, I mean, that's a definite case in Australia with, with native people and there's a good reason for the government to try to help them to get better education. Um, And also, I want to give you a little bit of perspective. <laughs> um, so you complain about 33% income tax and 30, 30% VAT. So I live in Germany and for all of my life, I've, I've had almost 50% income tax and 19% VAT. And now I'm a freelancer. So I pay... Um, I pay those almost... Uh, 50% on my income right that I make so if I if I get hired and I write an article and I get paid for that um, okay in that case I pay 7% VAT because we have different laws and if art is concerned and you know writing is considered art then you want to pay 7% VAT anyway I have to pay that these 7% VAT um, I pay almost 50% of 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 my income there. And then again, I pay about, I don't know, what is it, 40%? So I then again, at the end of the year, pay taxes on on all my earnings, right? I pay tax on my income and then I pay taxes on my earning. And of course, this is not all, like I, I say taxes, right? But this is also social, social insurance and stuff. But, you know, as a freelancer, for example, I pay like um, in Germany, the employer pays half of that. I pay, pay all of that. Um, so what I'm trying to say, it could be much worse. Also, firearms, try to get a firearms license in Germany. <laughs> um, so it also it all depends on perspective, I'm guessing. Anyway, our uh, anonymous Canadian listener, he, she, or um, whatever pronoun they prefer, I don't know, says, thanks for your continued reporting and keep up the great work. I will try. Now, next, we have a listener we know very well. Fadi, Fadi Mansour, writes in uh, regularly, always appreciated. Uh, he says, first of all, I think I understand where you're coming from. Same topic, same episode. And I believe I share your thoughts, but I think it's a very tricky subject. And I thank you for the effort to try to approach it. Well, that's kind of what I do, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm, you know... I'm not one to shy away uh, from this kind of thing, even though it's it might be hard and I might lose listeners. I I I think it's more important to frankly talk about this stuff. I think it's 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 I think not enough people do. I think not enough people uh, that have an opinion that might be somewhat contrarian to what the current opinion uh, of the day and all the virtue signaling is about. Um, I think people are often afraid to 
to utter that because they, they'll get smashed. They get bad comments and stuff. Um, and I think that's important. I, I try to march ahead, uh, march at the front of the column to people who say um, un, un, uh, uncomfortable truth. Fadi says, I totally agree that differences should not be um, should not be the things to separate us, but to enrich us. But sadly, any slogan, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, could be used with good intentions and bad intentions. And this is the core issue, people with bad intentions. It's sad to see people being killed, but at the same time, it's sad to see the division between people. And instead of helping each other, resentment is being fueled by people looting and by law enforcement heavy-handedly reacting. It's really difficult for people in these situations to be rational and considerate at these moments. But this is what is needed. Completely agree with you. Um, I also don't think... I, you know, if you listen to that episode, I try to give people a lot of leeway. And also, when I talk about this on, on Twitter or whatever, um, I try to not attack the protesters, right? Because, I mean, unless you're, like, really looting. But, you know, if you're in a situation like this, I've been at demonstrations, um, you know, tempers run high, things get out of hand, things happen. To be honest, on both sides. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's also completely understandable for the police to overact. I mean, yes, that might not be the popular opinion on Twitter, but, you know... And it was, oh, the police is heavy armored. You know, but, you know, try to try to put on a helmet like that and, like, a shield and then wear, like, I don't know, eight kilograms of body armor and shit like that. And then stand in the line and have people pelt you with bricks. Right? Try to stand there and be pelted by bricks and other things and don't react. So, you know... I. I tend to try to give people leeway. Now, obviously, the police is doing dumb shit in the US, and I'm the last to defend the US police. You know, I, I, I defend German police at, at, at some point. I know people are in the police. You know, if you talk to them, if you actually talk to them, it's it's a hard job. Um, but the US police, I mean, they're obviously do, I mean, they're doing stupid shit. They're, like, faking letters from people of support. They're, like, faking... Explosive devices and then post. I mean, it's so dumb. I mean, they're obviously being being too aggressive. They have shitty tactics. So yeah, but I I I I, I like that you know, Fadi, that you're writing and you're seeing, you're trying to see this more nuance. This gives me hope. This is this is the stuff when I read people like this is giving me hope. Hope. This is what gives me hope about the world. Um. That I'm not the only one. That there are people out there who see things nuanced. Um, Fadi continues, on another note, I support your suggestion to encourage people who like to beat each other uh, up to get into cage fights. Maybe they can get it out of their system. And I like your way of explaining religion. It's hard now to get it out of my mind. You mean that's like a kink? You know what's really weird? There's usually people do kink, do their kink, like in, you know, in, in a, somewhere you know, in a club or in a closed room and they don't want people to know about. If the fucking religious people, they're, they're ringing the bell, right? Whenever I, I hear a church and they're like, bong, 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 or like, you know, a, um, um, a mosque and they're like, rah, 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 rah. I feel like, this is our kink. We're now, we're now here at Girl Dressing in Latex. Come along, come along, watch it, watch it. We're now uh whacking each other off or something <laughs> that's what i hear. anyway the thing with the cage k- k- i think that is um 
I think that, yeah, that would be a good solution. I mean, that's, if we did more of that, I strongly believe in that. I always believed in that, you know? Um, I always liked, you know, people are like, ah, oh, nationalism and football and stuff. But, you know, that is like an outlet valve, right? If you have like, every four years you have the World Cup and people are like behind their nation and stuff. That's like a replacement for war to some degree. And I, I feel like, yeah, if some people would just, you know, get in a in a cage with, with with a rule set, but you know, basically still pretty much allowed whatever to do whatever they can to hurt each other. You know, if more people did that, we have a better society. And if you watch, actually, you know, people are like, oh, well, I can't. Put it. If you actually watch like cage fights, if you watch UFC, you know, they get in there and they beat each other up and then they hug each other because they respect each other. Because you know, to just wear underwear basically and go into a cage with with a guy who might you you know who will beat you up close to like killing you like you know if you do that you have a lot of respect for each other and then i also uh, had a um a message from martin who says uh, uh it's very short on a recent show you expressed surprise at the bbc spreading misinformation and wondered what their agenda might be and you know this is short because i shortened it <laughs> remember that um he said he then sent me some ideas uh regarding this um and you know he, he's talking about the scottish independent movement and stuff like that but you know um i think you misunderstood me now and i get this sometimes so i would like to explain it um i think what you were witnessing there were to some degrees rhetorical questions i.e questions that are asked to make a point not to get an answer um I'm not surprised at the BBC spreading misinformation. If I go like, why, you know, why are they doing that? That's a rhetorical point. I'm trying to call attention to it. Um, you know, I'm a journalist. I know how it works. And I know, and I, you know, you, Martin sent me a lot of information about the BBC. And I, I, you know, I know that I lived in the UK. Um, and I've, I've looked, uh, you know, into this topic specifically because I'm interested in that because we also have public broadcasts in Germany and to some degrees or several and to some degrees they work kind of similar and there's differences and I found this really interesting. Um, but of course they have an agenda and of course there's spread misinformation, right? It's uh, like every other news outlet except this is state-sponsored and, you know, the, as, as Martin pointed out uh, to me, you know, there's... There's stuff like that. I mean, I've been always been very critical, for example, of Deutsche Welle, which is a German state-sponsored public broadcaster, which is was founded to inform people outside of Germany about Germany. They're basically like Radio Free Europe, which was a, a CIA outfit. So, you know, Deutsche Welle is not this, that clearly, uh, inter I mean, an intelligence a spook outfit, but still. It's the same thing. It's state propaganda, basically. I mean, and it's, you know, there's, there's, there's varying degrees of propaganda. You can also generally do good journalism and mix a bit of propaganda in once in a while. Um, so no, now I was not surprised at the BBC. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was joking in that case. Um, somewhat of a rhetorical, uh, device there. And sometimes that gets lost. Um, I understand that. So I just want to point that out. Anyway, um, that's it for today. That's it for the feedback. Um, if you also have thoughts on this, please get in contact, um, privatecitizen.press. And then I also very quickly would like to mention that, uh, you know, 
I do this out of the love of my heart, but sometimes it's nice to put food on the table. And if you want to help me do that, you can become a patron uh, via Patreon, where basically you get nothing in return except my gratitude and also access to a, you know, we have a, we have a Discord channel only for patrons, which it's really it's not that exciting. I wanted to have some you know, something like a direct channel where people could talk to me in real time if they want to. Um, but it's basically just a, a little bonus. Generally, that is there. You know, this podcast operates under the value for value model, which means if you see value in it, maybe give you me some value back, which will help me to continue doing it. This is something the folks at No Agenda, uh, Adam Curry, John C. Devorah came up with. And I think it's a great model. It's a lot better than ad-supported podcasts, I feel, because with the stuff I'm doing, I mean, I've just talked about how I say what I want to say and what I feel from the heart. And often that is not compatible with the mainstream or brand safety. And I feel like this is a much better model. Uh, if you don't want to use PayPal, uh, uh, Patreon, you can use PayPal. Uh, I have an email address for PayPal, produces at Fab Industries, produces at fab.industries. It's also in the uh, show notes, of course. And um, I'm open to other ways of contributing if you have an idea of something I can implement, maybe something more privacy uh, conscious. I would love to do that. Um, it just needs to be above board and uh, I need to be able to get the taxes right. I just talked about taxes in Germany and taxes in Germany are a bitch because we Germans are the masters of bureaucracy. Um, yeah, and that's it. Um, thanks, thanks to everybody who makes this possible. Helps me get the show on the road. Helps me motivate myself to do an episode every week and sometimes a bonus episode. Um, people like ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk who uh, provide me the servers that I use to, you know, host the audio files for you free of charge. That's great. Um, I would like to mention Raul Kabazali, who wrote the song, the show's theme tune. I hope he'll listen at some point. I don't know. I haven't really tried to contact him, but I'm I'm really curious if Raul Kabazali is the way he pronounces his name. Um, I would love to know if that's correct. Anyway, he wrote the song Acoustic Roots, which I use for the show. And then I have to mention everybody uh, who who did pitch in, who did help out and via uh, Patreon or PayPal uh, contribute to the show and, you know, helps helps make it happen. And those people are Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen-Jensen, Jonathan M. Havy, George Walther, Dave, Rashid Alimani, Butterbeans, Kai Sears, Mark Holland, Steve Foes, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Fadi Mansour, Matt Jelliman, Joe Poser, Jackie Plage, 1i11g, IKN, Philip Klostermann, Dave Amrish, Dirk Didi, David Potter, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mika, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Martin, Sylvia Vulcan, and SJ. Thanks to all of you. It's not too many people yet, so I don't, you know, I can't still can do it i still can read them all out without you know becoming unconscious or something <laughs> yeah and that's that's it for this episode i hope i hope this this was a value to you and uh, this was interesting to you i try i try i try to find interesting topics and uh as i said feedback's always welcome 
if you have ideas what I should talk about, please let me know. Um, I, I'll definitely be back next week with another episode. Um, until then, you know, take care. Take a little bit of care. Have, have a think about what apps you use, what data they upload, how that pertains to your work. You know, just, just a little just a little think. And um, if we all do that, then we can be, you know, we can be more private out there and we can still use the apps that we want to use. And um, because, you know, they're fun. It's fun seeing the other people run as well. It motivates me um, and it, it helps me. I've got me to run further and lose some kilos, which is great. Anyway, see you soon. Until then, remember, always aim to misbehave. See you next week. Fab out.